This is State of Sports, Utah, with your hosts, Jake Lukler and Jason Stowell. Everybody, welcome on into the show. This is State of Sports Utah, brand new refresher of, of the podcast. I'm Jason Stoll here alongside my co-host Jake Lukler, and we are really excited to have you guys. Yeah, I'm totally pumped. Hi, everybody. I'm Jake Lukler. Because of the pandemic and just because uh, we live so far away, we're actually doing this podcast remotely. We're not in the same room, which is a little weird, but not so much given you know how much zoom has been integrated into the the culture of everything so if you followed this podcast before we were js squared and it was me and josh sommer josh is still going to be part of the podcast segments and um, will be a co-host as well but we just wanted to kind of restart and refresh the um the podcast and and give it a new name and expand our reach a little bit as far as fan base and coverage goes so hence the new name and the rebrand a little bit with our logos but again we are really excited to to kind of refresh this and restart with the podcast oh i'm absolutely thrilled i mean honestly i've thought that we should do this for a long time i'm so glad we're finally doing this it should be awesome yeah exactly so for our first segment, where we are going to be doing what's called Opposite Impressions. It's a segment where, because I'm such a diehard Utah fan, and my co-host Jason is a cougar through and through, we're going to be talking about each other's team and what we think based on the first week of college football. I'm going to be talking about Utah football. Imagine that, my friends and family that, that, that know me. I'm going to be talking about Utah. It's amazing. Yeah, I know. I, I have been... Uh, I have been uh, you know, tainting him for years. I have been, uh, you know, damaging his his good, you know, temple recommended soul. <laughs> Jared, Jared, or Uncle Brand, if you're listening, this is not true at all, not even remotely. It's, I mean, to be fair, I I am a, a temple recommend holder myself. So, and anyhow, uh, let's get on to the impressions. So, I think I'll start. So I, I did watch the BYU versus Arizona game. And first thing I just got to say is that stadium looks amazing. Very jealous I didn't get to go. And it looked like it had a really great atmosphere. There were, I mean, frankly, it was just covered in blue. And, I mean, true to BYU's reputation, they travel well. And they certainly did this time around. And I did get to go to the game in Vegas, hence my voice sounding like emperor palpatine a little bit <laughs> so if it does sound like that i i apologize but man that that atmosphere was terrific there there were around fifty four thousand fans in total there and i gotta say i don't think it's a stretch to assume that 80 percent of that was byu blue it was very loud and very in favor of byu there was a cool point in the game where Arizona had gotten some momentum and they started chanting U of A, their little tiny little section started chanting U of A and just the, the stadium overwhelmed them with chants of BYU and, and it shut up the Arizona fans and kind of re-energized the, the defense and they ended up making a big field goal stop um, on that 
ensuing possession. So it was a lot of fun. Atmosphere was was terrific. Yeah, and you could definitely tell from oh, just watching it on ESPN. You know, there was a lot of really great college football on that night, and Utah had already had already played. So you know, we you know that was a game we didn't want to miss. But uh, as far as my impressions of the team, I actually th- was pretty impressed. Uh, there was a, what I thought had the makings of a dynamic offensive strategy. And what I mean by that is there wasn't necessarily a great, a great variety of offensive plays. I mean, sure, there was you know, the one flea flicker, but aside from that, there really wasn't a lot of you know, razzle-dazzle or spices uh, to it. But I thought it had the... Spiciness. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, thought, I thought it had the makings of it, though. I mean, he had a quarterback who could throw, and he proved such, and, he, you know, he, and, and one that can run. And that is always the makings of a really dynamic offense. There's lots of room to grow on the team. I was really impressed uh, with, with the ability to run the ball. The defense seemed pretty solid. Um, however, I would say probably the thing that stood out to me the most was uh, the pool of dependent players. And I thought them to be rather small, actually. It's probably uh, two running backs that really got some yardage. And there were maybe about three receivers, and that was about it. And so I think if they want to go far, they're going to have to expand that pool of dependent players. But aside from that, uh, again, very formidable team this year. Watch out for injuries, though, because there were already two in the very first game. Romney, one of your, one of your best receivers, and your, rece- your receiving core is getting kind of small right now. The way it's looking, I mean, don't get me wrong, the, the Dakua brothers could pop in at any moment, but at the same time, watch out for those injuries. I, I definitely agree with the injury thing. And actually, as of today, my little inside sources of reporting, um, it, it looks like Gunnar Romney will be actually cleared to play versus Utah, which is really good. He's an important piece of the offense. Um, and then both of the Nakua brothers um, are expected to be major contributors as well. So that receiver core, you're going to get a, a big revamp for this Saturday. So some good news on the on the injury Maybe side. Maybe not so such good news for my team. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. So what do you think of Utah, Jason? Did you catch the game? Yes, I did. I gotta say, I actually I know some people weren't as big of a fan, but I like the uniform combos. Something you'll find with me. I love uniforms. I love combos. The black helmet with the chromed out silver. Super nice. I, I got to say, Utah has some really awesome helmets there. I enjoyed their uniforms a, a lot. That's something I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say probably every podcast. I'll comment about uniforms. Yeah, so Utah, uh, as with every program, it seems week one, including BYU, playing an inferior team, didn't show a whole lot, didn't need to show a whole lot, just needed to get enough done to get the W. And so even with those slow starts, especially against an FCS team, even though Weber is really skilled, I wasn't surprised that Utah, you know, chipped it away and and got it rolling. Run game is on point, as always, with Utah. That's going to be their biggest strength offensively. Tavion Thomas looked incredible. 107 yards, two touchdowns. It's always good when you have a back that you can rely on to get you 100 yards in a game. That's going to be really key and big for Utah um, moving forward, and and uh, that was impressive. But equally as, as impressive was Charlie Brewer. 
uh, his ability to throw, it brings a, a refreshing dynamic, I think, for Utah um, as, as an offense um, that they can depend on him to make throws and to move to move the ball. I think a lot of times in the past we've seen with Utah's offense that when they do rely heavily on the run, that teams really crowd the line of scrimmage and bring um, extra linebackers into gaps and try and contain and, and keep the ball inside the tackles. Um, and, and that can slow down the offense some, but he looked really good. Uh, 19 for 27, 233 yards at pro football focus. Uh, their quarterback evaluator, I guess, they, they do a lot of evaluation, but quarterback is one of their main areas. And they gave him an 89.3 grade, which was his highest grade in three years as a quarterback. So if he can c- continue that momentum, that's a great sign for Utah. And the, I guess there were two things that I would say that were slight concerns, um, but it's, again, hard to say exactly <laughs> what that looks like because it's game one and they just didn't show a lot. But uh, the O-line definitely has some questions. It seemed like Weber was able to run different stints and blitzes and um, had some effectiveness is at, at getting into the backfield. But Charlie Brewer seemed to handle that pretty well and was able to get the ball out uh, at times when he did feel that pressure. But that is one area that, that I know that Utah is dealing with some depth issues, some injuries. Um, and so yeah. hopefully those guys will be able to, you know, get back and, and get in the game moving forward. But yeah, yeah, I think I think the O line. There's definitely some questions, and then there were there were a lot of, and this was more so early in the game. But there were a lot of drop balls um, where the pass was there, but receivers had a little bit too firm of hands. Need to have soft hands as a receiver. Um, but there were there were definitely more drop balls in the first first half, a little bit into the third quarter. But that seemed to. Um, uh, improve as the game went on. So I've rambled a little bit, but there's there's my thoughts on on Utah for the first week. You know, it's always interesting, I think, to to hear the other side's opinion, just simply because most of the people that I talk to in the sports world are Utah fans. And so we're used to hearing the same worries, concerns, the same highlights, the same great things, and you're used to hearing the same talking points. But it's so interesting then to hear someone who's a fan of another team and how they and how they see your team. And that's why that's why I really like this section actually just because that way it's less biased and it also I think just adds a certain something else to consider as a as a fan of your own team. Yeah, I agree. A lot of a lot of, you know, my opinions about BYU and and things of that are coming from BYU fans and especially in like the Twitter sphere or things like that, we can tend to latch on to some of the same ideas. And so it is really good and cool to hear a different perspective, especially from your rival, because I think sometimes we may be um, maybe more honest with about our opposing team than the fan of the opposing team, but maybe we're a little too, too critical as well. But I like that. That was, yeah. that was a great segment. Yeah. Always great to have a good back and forth. So why don't we hop in then to our next segment, which is uh, of course, uh, week one highlights where we talk about uh, our own teams, what, what we thought of uh, how their performance was. And I'll talk about Utah, which is finally happening. And 
let me just say, as a Utah fan, oh, last season. Not that it was a bad season. I mean, three and two. I mean, that is a winning season, technically. But, you know, no, no stadium attendance, five games, and, you know, you, you lose that first one to USC. And it just, it was a very disappointing year. And to finally be in full swing again, it just feels so right. It just, there's nothing like it. And to finally be able to see the new completed end zone was just phenomenal to see that bowl completed. So enough about the atmosphere, uh, but I thought it was a really good game. We had a bit of a lightning delay after, after Weaver got, you know, a lucky special teams mistake, capitalizing on that for a, for a touchdown. And then immediately there was a, there was a lightning delay, which as a fan in the stands, incredibly disheartening. I'm sure anyone who was attending the game can attest to that. That was incredibly disheartening as a fan because it just feels like, well, well, what if it stops? What if it, what if, what if we officially lose the game, you know, halfway through the first quarter because they just delay it long enough, you know, and after about an hour and a half, we, the game finally resumed and then things really got, got going. I thought, as Jason pointed out, Charlie Brewer was phenomenal in that game. I think before the lightning delay, he seemed a little jumpy. He seemed... I don't know, he seemed less reined in. He seemed very nervous. And, and I, th- I think that's very much obvious uh, through his gameplay in that, before the lightning delay. However, afterwards, he seemed to have calmed down. And hit the nerves have kind of worn off. And you just want to play at that point. And in that way, I'm actually kind of grateful. Because it was after that point that Utah really started going. Our defense, solid as ever. You know, and that's always a, a highlight, I think, of of Utah football. Is our, is our defense is just arguably one of the best in the country. You make running the ball almost impossible. That's thanks to just the amazing players we got in the D-line. For once, we actually have a a really great quarterback, and it's so strange to walk away from a Utah football game and say the biggest highlight was the quarterback, because that is not what we're used to. And as a Utah fan, it has been a long time, frankly, since we've had that. I I think I would be reminisce if I missed out on another great highlight, which has been true in the past few seasons, but definitely so this season, I think, and that is the secret weapon that are Utah's Titans. We've had Brian Keithy for a long, for a good couple seasons, and he's been our secret weapon. But finally, uh, that reputation seems to have spread a little bit, and we have that of another, which is Dalton Kincaid. He came into this season as uh, not really anybody of note, but boy, did he make a big splash. I uh, caught, caught two touchdowns, one of which was the very first of the game. And that was a heck of a play. That was a nice – Oh, that was a great – that was nice a great catch. catch. I mean, that – When I first saw it, I was like, there was no way that he got his foot inbounds. It was it was awesome. Yeah, and that, that was phenomenal. Uh, and, I, and he didn't just show his worth on that play. He showed his play further on in the game. And I think he and Keithy are going to be – major secret weapons that Utah is going to be using because not a lot of people look at the tight ends. You look at the receivers, the running backs, but you don't look at the, at the tight ends very much, at least not in college football. And, and that's certainly true in the Pac-12, I feel. And, and that's why Keithy has been such a great secret weapon uh, up to this point. I think Dalton Kincaid is going to be a, an even greater secret weapon because he doesn't have the fame that Brian Keithy has built for himself. But overall, I thought it was really well. Again, the best thing I got to say is about Charlie Brewer. We finally have 
a quarterback that can throw. And not just that, but he, he can read the field and he, and he has that experience as his, you know, senior transfer. He has that experience to read the field and just be able to tell what's going on. It's just amazing to know that we have only a quarterback who's a dual threat and just someone who has that experience. So what about you, Jason? What about your game one highlights? So I had the unique perspective as well as Jacob being in the stand, uh, in the stands for the game. I, I'm going to focus my, my kind of game highlights on individuals, three individuals. The first being Neil Pau. Dude is awesome. Dude is, is such a good receiver uh, for BYU. Eight receptions, 126 yards, two touchdowns. He, of course, had the bomb reception of, of 60 yards, breaking away from his defender. Pass was put perfectly where he could just catch and run and outran everybody to the end zone. Um, so he looked, Pau looked phenomenal. Uh, we will definitely rely on him in the passing game. And that's what will be nice about some of the depth returning is it will alleviate a little bit of that pressure on him um, because there are multiple targets that you have to cover as a defense. Um, and so that will be, that will be excellent. And if he's the only guy out there, you can believe, you know, teams like Utah and other top rate teams, they'll be focusing in on him. If he's the only guy out, they will make sure he's out of the game. I think, I think you saw that, that attempt by Arizona a little bit. Uh, once, once Gunner was out, um, and he still was able to, to fight through a lot of that double coverage and, and to make plays. So he played phenomenal. Um, and then Jaron Hall at quarterback, there's been a lot of questions about, you know, is, is BYU going to be okay at quarterback? How do you transition from Zach Wilson, a guy that went number two in the draft, um, that had some of the highest per- completion percentages in in BYU history in, in college football and and Jaron answered that he was very poised he didn't make he didn't make a lot of crazy plays as far as risk rewards you know dangerous plays that that could result in an interception or uh, you know a potential interception um, he made great throws and he made that adjustment he came into the game he was one for six start out had a little bit of those nerves you know that I'm starting at quarterback now and it's my job I'm not just a backup this is my job I'm in charge so a little bit of those those nerves he was zipping the ball really hard but he settled in ended up finishing out the game 17 of 22 so five incompletions to start in his first six passes and then only five incompletions the entire rest of the game. So he played really well, uh, nearly 200 yards of passing. And then, of course, he had the 39-yard, 40-yard uh, run out. And I'm going to be honest, I thought he was going to run into the end zone on that one. I really thought he had the safety beat. I thought he could have gotten in, but smart play, wanted to stay healthy, got it out of bounds, knew that they were going to get the score with Tyler Algier on the outside, who also deserved a, deserves a small shout-out. He was great, as always, BYU rely heavy on the run game to open up its passing attack. But the, the last guy I wanted to highlight on defense was Keenan Peely. The dude is a monster. He's all over the field, and that's that's both a good thing and, and a little bit of a bad thing that I'll kind of talk about in our, our next segment. But he had 17 total tackles. Ten of those were solo tackles, and he had uh, the one big sack to force a, a punt 
from Arizona later in the game when they had been again kind of making a push. So he was he was a monster. Really fills a lot of the field for BYU. So when they are running some of that zone coverage, that he can he can make up for uh, some of those lapses in coverage from from other people. But he was huge for BYU, um, and I believe is leading the nation in tackles because of that game. Um, so he played phenomenal. So overall, it was. It was a it was a good game. They controlled the game pretty much from the start. Um, I felt like they were again in control, but not as many points as I would have liked to see. But I, I think I think it was mellow. The game overall offensively was mellow for a reason. Yeah, and I feel like that's a lot of the strategies for week one, especially when playing a kind of a weaker team. You don't want to give away the whole playbook. So let's move into our next section here, and this is three spots. For each of our teams moving forward. I mentioned this just a little bit uh, before, and it's been talked about. We've touched on these, but uh, with, with BYU, this was supposed to be one of the deepest teams we've had in a while. You look across the board at receiver and just some other posi- quarterback, uh, running back. I think a lot of these positions, BYU is really deep, but Already you're seeing that injury bug creep back into BYU's program in game one. And that's really concerning. I think a lot of that has to do with strength and conditioning and, and trainers that you're seeing people don't like to talk about the talent gap or whatever, but there is a financial gap between BYU and Utah. There's no question that Utah overall can afford to pay their coaches and staff more than BYU does. Oh, 100%. And, and so I think it's not a fluke that BYU has all these injuries. I think that it is, a, is vindicative of BYU not being able to have the strength and conditioning experience that they need, and guys might be getting overworked or worked the wrong way. Um, so a little bit concerning with how dinged up they are. Keenan Ellis, that injury in the stadium, I got to say, was really scary there was so much energy. There was just a, there was a lot of excitement in the stands, but that just like a vacuum just sucked it all out and it was dead quiet. And uh, I felt sick to my stomach. I was really, really worried for, you know, him as an, as an individual, but he's not had any signs of, of damage in his neck or spine. They, they were saying that so far the, the scans have not shown massive, you know, brain damage or anything like that. So uh, he has entered concussion protocol, but I actually think that we will see him back in games again soon. And so that's really good news. Prayers out to him and his family. I was really glad that he was able to get through that. As far as the defense as a whole, that's another area that I have concerns. Our man coverage was great. I, I, corners were blanketing their receivers. They were when we were in man-to-man coverage and we were bringing pressure inside and out. Frankly, uh, we we were able to control timing on routes. We had pass breakups. We were able to get to the quarterback. The defense looked really, really good when we were in man coverage schemes. But the second we switched to our zone coverage. Arizona started to pick us apart. There were so many holes on the outside, and that's that's why I mentioned this before. I think that Keenan Peely had to make up so many of those tackles because they were slinging the ball to those soft spots in the zone 
on the outsides, and those were wide open through that basically that entire third and fourth quarter. There was there was a lot of holes in the BYU zone defense, and so that's a concern for me. Uh, how re- how much do they rely on that zone defense? They always like to talk about not giving up these chunk plays. That they they don't want to give up the. 50 yard or the 40 yard bomb but if the opposing team is making five yard 10 yard passes all the way to the end zone it's not effective it isn't and that's that's going to be essentially the same thing just with five more minutes tacked on yes exactly and so that puts more pressure on your offense uh, to get the ball and move it down equally as uh, you know as efficient and so that is something that i would like to see BYU do defensively a little bit more is not rely so heavily on that zone coverage. I feel like this year more than any, we have the talent at corner at safety to cover downfield one-on-one and or to only have one safety, you know, back that, that you can remove some of those safety nets that you've done in the few, you know, in the past and blitz the quarterback. And that's going to be key against Utah who has shown in that first game that they might be a little weak on the offensive line and and isn't able to handle that pressure as much as they have in past years. And then the last point that that was a slight worrying worry spot for me with BYU was the offense being a little bit vanilla. Like I said, I I think personally I expected more points from them, but after I had a day to kind of sleep on it and sleep on the game and think about what I had watched, BYU just didn't show a lot, frankly, in their overall scheme on offense. We saw no direct quarterback draws for Jaron, which I guarantee you is has always it's been a part of their uh, Coach Roderick's system to to run the quarterback. And Jaron is more of a running quarterback than Zach Wilson is, and Zach had a couple draws a game last season. So that's something that I expect BYU to do with Jaron who can run and is quick and strong and is is an excellent runner. So no quarterback draws they showed. Uh, they didn't use their tight ends almost at all. And I think that was that was not by mistake. I don't think that they targeted or showed some of those double tight end routes and schemes that they will use with Dallin Hoker um, and then Isaac Rex. Those are massive weapons. Isaac Rex had, I think it was 11 touchdowns, nine. It was nine or 11 touchdowns. I'm sorry, I don't have the number off the top of my head last season. He's a critical part of the offense. And I don't think it was a, a mistake that they didn't really get targets and they weren't used very much against Arizona. Arizona brought a lot of pressure and so they used them on that line. But um, if if BYU can open up their playbook a little bit more against Utah, I will be a lot happier. And I think it will help a little bit of that kind of vanilla offense feel to go away that they'll show some of the some of their hands, a lot more of their hand against against Utah this week. So those were my concerns for BYU. We definitely had, as you mentioned a couple of times, uh, some issues in the offensive line. And I think that is by far our weakest area. And that's not atypical for a Utah offense and just as a weakness in general, which is pretty maddening. Uh, you know, as if it's been an issue for so long, how come we can't seem to get it under control, at least a little. But 
you're right. The the depth was definitely something to that contributed to that, and it also has to deal with the you know the age and the experience of the players. You know, the, this offensive line is still relatively new. I mean, technically, you know, they had last year, uh, but they're still technically freshmen. A lot of them. And yeah, so, aside from from Nick Ford, I'm not sure exactly. what uh, upperclassmen you have on the I mean, O line. Just the team in general is extremely young. About two thirds of the team are freshmen and sophomores, and that's just because last year we, you know, nobody went up. You know, everyone's still technically a freshman that was last year, and the, and just a good portion of our team last year was extremely young. And so this year it's double that. You know, we have a double amount of players that are still very young. And you're right, aside from Nick Ford, we're basically stuck with freshmen and sophomores on the O-line. And that's that definitely contributes to the to the weakness that we both saw for Utah. Now, uh, the other major worry, and that's simply just because of Weber State's ability to run one back for a touchdown, it was the special teams. And I'm not used to saying that because usually Utah has a very solid special teams usually we're the we're the team that's running it back for a touchdown and don't get me wrong covey did a very good job of getting some good uh kick and punt return but i almost felt like those were out of spite you know they weren't necessarily planned or what had been anticipated but the fact that we were state managed to run one back for a touchdown after the field goal kickoff it just I don't know. It just honestly, it felt inauthentic. It felt like that wasn't what was originally intended. Cubby just took it personally, which, as a fan, very happy to see them get that extra yardage. But uh, you know, every time the special teams was out there, I got really, really nervous because I didn't want them to just keep scoring off our special teams. And maybe that's a bit unrealistic of, of a fear to have during the game. But it, but after that first one, it, it just made it look so easy. And you know. That's definitely something that other teams, especially a rival like BYU, can exploit. And they will exploit it unless we get that patched up. And so definitely a, a worry spot. And I hope that, you know, the old adage of the greatest sense of improvement is between week one and two. My only other worry spot uh, for this team so far, it, and this is funny because you mentioned it in what you thought was a really good thing, which was, uh, the run game, whereas me, I was actually rather disappointed with it. <laughs> uh, and it's simply, you know, 2019, we have an amazing back, Zach Moss. And to, to lose him in 2020, you know, the search was on for the next the next great Utah running back. And we found that in Ty Jordan, who unfortunately at the end of last season, as we're all, all know, he unfortunately was killed. And that was such a great loss, loss not only for the football team, but just, you know, a tragedy. It was really inspiring to be at the game where they dedicated the, there was that major dedication. We as fans got to cheer because he never got to uh, see any fans in the stadium at Utah. And that was such a, that was a really sad thought. I never, I had never considered that. And, but that did mean that the, this season we're in the search for another running hand. Maybe we found it in Tavian Thomas. I, I'm pretty hopeful and kind of, as you said, said earlier, once you kind of sleep on it, my opinion kind of changed and my worry here about the run game with Tavian Thomas definitely lessened. I, I'm less worried about it, but I don't know. It's this last game felt a little different in the sense that it felt like the confidence was in the throw game, which as a Utah fan, that is such a weird sensing. That is, that is not normal. For my for this team, and it, it felt like there was 
very little confidence in the run game. Which, I mean, don't get me wrong. You, there was plenty uh, of rushing yards. Uh, Tavian Thomas, 107, 12 carries. Mika Bernard, uh, 35 yards, 6 carries. But that's, I mean, that's the majority of it. And, you know. I, I almost wonder if, if some of that was was due to the offensive line play and that, that depth again, that they, they did have trouble establishing those those pockets both in the passing game and all and and also in in the run game some of those lanes weren't as open so at least from my perspective it wasn't so much of things that the runner like the running back themselves were doing but like like you're talking about establishing that run game and getting those lanes open for your running back seemed to be more of the issue Yes, exactly. I mean, and that's, and thank you for helping me articulate that, but I mean, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, and not that it was inexistent. It just was not there in the way that, frankly, you, me as a Utah fan, that I'm used to seeing. It's, and it is concerning. However, I am very hopeful that Tavian Thomas is going to take, take charge of this, uh, of the running core. Mika Bernard also has some great experience. He's a fantastic runner and he can make some plays. But I don't know, def- definitely something for, you know, that I'm definitely going to be watching very carefully. And I feel like Utah fans in general will as well. So unless there's anything else, how about we move on to our next section, which is conference news. And what's super exciting about this one. <laughs> if you can't see me, I'm sitting, sitting here rubbing my hands together. <laughs> well, yes, because usually this would be a one-sided conversation. However... As it so happens, there is some news afoot of a, of a second Power Five conference getting into this conversation. But we'll we'll save that for the main segment. Uh, whereas, since it's the less interesting of the two for this time, let's talk about the Pac-12 and all the news surrounding it at the moment. Which, of course, right before the season started, there was the Tri-Conference Alliance with the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 all uh, uniting in an alliance. Uh, essentially against the SEC and their expansion. The SEC expanding to 14 teams, which still doesn't make any sense to me why you would stop at 14 with with just Oklahoma and Texas. Why not jump to 16? And who knows? Maybe that's coming soon. But I think the Tri-Conference Alliance here is definitely, I don't know, it seems very lackluster to me just because... It seems like an alliance in name only. It is, 100%. They, they, there's nothing in writing. There's no actual agreement. And you look at the day after this gets announced, the U- USC goes and schedules with an SEC team. The day after yes. this gets announced. Exactly. And, I mean, Utah has several uh, series planned throughout the next, I believe until, you know, 2036 is as far as it, as it goes. And, I mean, so even if this alliance were to actually become something i mean what is it going to take 20 years for us to see the difference i mean don't get me wrong i'm all for playing big 10 and, and acc teams i'll happily go to those away games that sounds like a really great a great trip the idea is great but yeah. the execution just was not there with, with that alliance yeah exactly i agree but of course usc of course it's and of course it is usc it's always usc they're gonna do what they do yeah usc will do what they want to do and they're not they're not gonna let you talk anything about uh then of course you got the pac-12's announcement that they have no plans for an extension of the conference and i have some mixed feelings about this if i'm being honest jason uh part of me is kind of happy i like the status quo in in a bit 
South Division is, you know, I know we know the teams very well. Uh, the North Division, you only got to play a handful of them, and we know those teams well too. And it, I mean, why shake something up that seems to work? In my opinion, frankly, I, I feel like the Pac-12 already cannibalizes itself well enough. Adding four more teams, I, I, especially if they're high-quality teams, doesn't seem to be much of a help. And I th- and I think that might be probably what the main motivation of not expanding really is, aside from the wanting to keep the center of power in California. Because I don't think there's enough schools of high enough caliber in California to keep the center of power there. Because that's definitely a priority for the Pac-12. Much to my chagrin and to that of many other fans of many other teams, I'm sure. But like I said, a little bit of a mixed bag of emotions. You know, and I see why they're doing it, but at the same time, I'm a bit disappointed. I mean, clearly the SEC is expanding, and I think it, they'd be, you know, I think it'd be foolish to just not even at least consider it. And that that has further ramifications on what we'll talk about next. Yeah, exactly. And the conference news is just a commentary on the on the Pac-12 in Week One, uh, I should say, and, that, and that's something I definitely want to have. And, and while we talk about the conference, is how the conference performed. Well, I mean, now, now hold up. The, the Pac-12 South did great. Aside from Arizona, every, everybody won. And they run with one with a very decent margin. I actually think the least impressive was USC of all teams. You know, they didn't yep. seem to be very in control of Fresno. Yes, they were leading, but it seemed like a very weak lead and that that could have changed at any moment. At least not until the, I would say, I don't know, the mid-third quarter is when they finally got a handle on the game. And so, then of course, you got the embarrassment that was the Pac-12 North. When Washington loses to Montana, and it's not even just like a lucky win. They were in control of that game the whole time. Ah, Washington. I mean, you know, of course, it's the year that Utah doesn't play them, that they're just a complete train wreck. Ranked number 20 should not be losing to Montana. Montana's a good team. Great FCS. In fact, who knows? Maybe they win the Big Sky. This but it time. shouldn't happen. Of course, the rest of the you know, the North, you had Oregon pulling out a very nervous win against Fresno State off a lucky fumble. So, I mean, luckily for Utah, we actually do face them. And, you know, they're obviously the biggest threat of the North. And so, you know, maybe that's, you know, good news for Utah in the end. But, I don't know, just in general, doesn't make the, the Pac-12 look very good, at least not the North. However, we did have UCLA uh, counteracting that and, uh, you know, kind of coming in with a big win against LSU. Now, does that mean uh, UCLA? Which I predicted, by the way. I predicted oh, that. Yeah, it's true. You did. Uh, it's just, you know, maybe that means UCLA is good this year. And from what I saw, maybe, you know, they did look very formidable. Then again, it could just mean LSU is extremely overrated. I mean, last season... They were not very great. I mean, they won their national championship in 2019, as all know, and lost most of their team. And, you know, last year they were not that great. And frankly, I thought it was a big uh, overrating to give them, what was it, rank 15? I mean, they, were def- they were definitely overrated to start, but I didn't think they'd, they were. It's hard to know just based off uh, the two games that UCLA has played against Hawaii and, and the LSU and just LSU the one game. It's hard to tell where everyone stands based on the quality of the team right now. Uh, but, hey, it made the conference look great. At the very least, we got that redeeming quality. Now, why don't we hop in to the big to the big news? The big news. Yeah, the Big 12 is expanding, and they have chosen four teams to expand on. BYU, Houston, 
Cincinnati, and UCF, Central Florida. Jason, I know you're dying for this question. What's your take? So, man, lots of thoughts to sort through, and they've developed and evolved as all of this has kind of <laughs> come out and, and been announced. But as it should be, of those four teams, BYU sitting on top was the, according to sources, the very first, the number one team that, that the Big 12 looked at for expansion, followed by Cincinnati, UCF, and, and lastly, Houston. I think they were, the Big 12 was looking really hard at Houston and Boise State for that last spot. But it, it makes a lot of sense to me. And, and I have gotten way, I mean, obviously way more on board from maybe a month ago in the Big 12 and uh, had <laughs> looked like it was falling apart and OU and Texas were out the door and Kansas was talking with uh, the Big Ten and West Virginia was talking with the supposedly, ACC. Supposedly. Oh, yes, yeah, supposedly, supposedly. Um, but as I mentioned, the Pac-12's decision to not take any of those teams from what seemed to be a falling apart Big 12 and the unification of them as you know programs, the Big 12 meeting together, making those decisions to, to stay together and to strengthen the conference, uh, it's, it's a great, great sign, and it's a really good opportunity for BYU. Those four schools make a lot of sense. BYU brings the most recognizable brand, non-Power 5 brand. They bring the most eyeballs as far as television numbers go. They are Power 5 built, and I've been waiting for this for so long, I have felt like all BYU has needed is an opportunity and they can take it and, and run. They will have the second or third largest football stadium in the Big 12. They will have the first or second largest basketball stadium uh, arena in the Big 12. They are set up to, to absolutely crush it with Power 5 with that opportunity, a seat at the table. And that extends to recruiting, that extends to, you know, competing with Utah, which has been a, you know, a topic uh, in, in this podcast. But some of those guys, I really think that are high level LDS talent that have been going to Utah or Stanford, some, uh, you know, some of those schools, you look at guys like Britton Covey, whose <laughs> grandpa is this famous LDS author and involved in a lot of that. Or goes to Tempview, the breeding ground of BYU football. Bradley and I, who grows up in Utah County and goes to BYU games, like some of those guys, I really think take a lot harder look and maybe end up going to BYU. So it evens the playing field, I think, in a lot of areas as far as recruiting in state goes. BYU obviously makes a lot of sense. Uh, Cincinnati, uh, they bring the Ohio demographic and, and can oh, compete yeah. with, with recruiting for the Big 12 for Ohio State and, and that area. They bring the, I think it was the, the biggest TV numbers outside of BYU from those four teams. Just a lot of opportunity for for growth with the Cincinnati, Ohio area. And they've been really good the past two seasons. They've both been very oh, yeah. good. 
They look awesome this year. Had like a 50-point blowout win in their first uh, first opening game. So they they bring immediate football uh, supremacy to the Big 12. And then UCF, located in Orlando, the only the only top 10 city population-wise without an NFL team. So lots of focus on college football. And then the they have the biggest alumni base, the youngest alumni base of those four teams of a non-Power 5 right program. And then, um, of course, Houston is the largest metropolitan area, a top five city population-wise, and have not been a, a Power 5 school to this point. So huge. Each of those teams, I think, brings a lot to the Big 12, um, and it, it ultimately saves the Big 12 from, from crumbling apart. And the biggest thing I wanted to point out with this is that BYU, for BYU, it needed to be all sports. For me, for me, I shouldn't say for BYU, but I felt like if the, if the Big 12 only added BYU for football, it didn't show that they were looking to strengthen the conference. They weren't looking to future-proof the conference, right? That they were just trying to put a quick Band-Aid on it, on what is a sinking ship. But this shows unity. It shows we want you as a full partner. We believe that you can, you know, have success and improve our conference as a whole. And and makes me excited for not just football, but basketball. We can talk more on this when it becomes official. But that basketball conference is probably the number one basketball conference. Oh, that of all of the power. Amazing. All like, of the power five yeah. schools. Yeah. For for basketball. That conference looks amazing. Like, honestly, I'm actually a little jealous as a Utah fan, just even at the prospect of it, because that just seems phenomenal. So it, it, it's just, it's a, it's a really great opportunity. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm really, really pumped for uh, the prospects of getting into the Power Five. So far, it's Cincinnati is the only one that has been reported to have officially that has officially applied that report came out today again as of wednesday uh, of us recording this um but i i would expect tomorrow or friday uh for the news to break that all three other schools have applied and that vote has been reported that it is a formality that they have the votes to approve all four teams as far as like looking at what that means for BYU financially, uh, the TV revenue is projected to be at $24.8 million per school. That, that would be the TV allotment, so TV revenue only. That's a huge, huge change for BYU, which currently is sitting at somewhere between $7 and $11 million annually with their with their tv contracts so over double what they've what byu has been making revenue wise and then it also brings up an interesting thing with byu tv that the big 12 is willing to play ball with byu and include those tier three tv rights they are projecting that there is somewhere around 15 million dollars in Tier three rights, so sponsorship in ESPN three, some of those those other tier three uh, media type type deals uh, per school. So there's a, again a lot of opportunity for revenue, and BYU TV will be a, a big player in that. I mean, they did let Texas have Longhorn Network have the same deal. 
And so there's already a press. And one thing I think, I was just going to say, as an outsider looking at this uh, perspective, this makes a lot of sense for the Big 12. Um, as, a, as far as money goes, frankly, it does make me nervous because finally, you know, Utah got a leg up in the recruiting field. And I, was, and I love it. It's great. All the best guys want to come to Utah, and it's fantastic. And there's, there's zero competition, and that's, that's great. But the Big 12's perspective, I totally see why they picked these four teams. Uh, BYU, not only, you know, the TV rights and butts in seats and the eyes on the screen, but also it adds a foothold in the West that the Big 12 definitely has to add up to. And that's the same thing that Central Florida does. You know, uh, Florida, huge breeding ground for football players. And, and that'll be good for the conference to have a school down there. Cincinnati, like you said, Ohio's the same deal. And, and I think even even with Houston keeping that foothold in Texas with with building up another school that can compete with Texas for recruits exactly. at a Power 5 level. Exactly. And I think that's why uh, Boise State didn't get the invite. I think that's why they chose Houston, Cincinnati, BYU, and UCF because they all add something. You know, three schools are adding a foot a foothold in a market that they want and uh, Houston is strengthening the Texas market which the Big 12 has notoriously held onto very tight but I think Houston definitely helps solidify that now that Texas is gone because that was a, that's a huge loss frankly I think that's why Boise State didn't get a, didn't get an invite once again Boise State's well, a step behind yeah and this is something that was that has kind of newly been reported just even today and it's not crazy sources so you always take stuff like this with a grain of salt um but timeline for this is looking like july 1st of 2023 for all four schools byu houston ucf uh, cincinnati to be added to the conference in full sports there is still a chance that byu could join in 2022 i would bet that will be sorted out as that invite is official um, because in BYU is independent, they have some flexibility. Uh, the AAC, where the three other schools are coming from, are going to have to give a you know a timetable. They have a set timetable that is in the contract that they have uh, that they have to give a certain amount of months' notice before they leave for withdrawal. For yeah. withdrawal, and then they they still have to pay that ten million buyout to get out of the conference. Whether that is negotiable with the AAC is yet to be determined, but it is looking like as of today, it's being reported that all four schools for all sports, July 1st, 2023, expect some negotiation though with BYU for football only for next season. I would love, I would be oh, yeah. so excited to, to jump into a, a Big 12 schedule right off the bat. But I also think this could help the BYU-Utah rivalry continue on but i think with byu being a from a power five conference i think there'll be a much greater case to allow utah and byu to play more toward the end of the season again i have felt like there's been like this drifting apart where utah's like oh we're we're too good for byu we don't need to schedule them there these peasants we don't need to play them but but that i i do think that will change as byu you know does get that Power 5 label, they improve their depth and some of those things that, that there will be more pressure on Utah's side to 
play the rivalry because it's a good game and and it is competitive yeah, again. Exactly. And it'll be far more of a benefit. It'll be it'll add to the strength strength of schedule. It'll it'll look really good to play another five team that's you know just a couple miles away. Yeah. So the last the last part I wanted to just really quick report on almost uh, again from from some of those sources that uh, beyond the 12 team Big 12 that they will now be with the four teams that they're adding that somewhere in the range of 2024 2025 when those TV contracts are renegotiated that they would then look to expand further to 14 teams and add Boise State and Memphis. That's what I saw today. It makes a lot of sense and I think would, would again, just further strengthen um, the conference ties it would give. BYU a travel partner and bring in that rivalry. I love the rivalry with Boise State. Um, I, I respect the heck out of Boise State um, as a football program, not so much as a university, as a school. They don't bring a lot outside of they have been good at football and have had some 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 recent success. So look for that potentially as well, that that move to 14 teams um, with Boise and Memphis in the future as well. Granted, that is several years away and that plenty of things can change to that point. But yeah, it's great. It's great to keep an eye on that. So just to just to wrap up the podcast here today, thanks for listening. Uh, hopefully it was fun for you guys. This is fun for us just to talk. We are fans of the game. We are purely fans and spectators of the sport, and, and we like to talk about it. So thanks for tuning in. And and if you do hear this and aren't subscribed, subscribe to the podcast. Um, like us on 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 Facebook. Uh, we're on Twitter as well. Should be getting our Instagram, you know, up and rolling here. So uh, excited to relaunch. The podcast will be talking Utes, uh, BYU, and and when basketball season rolls around, uh, Josh will be our Utah Jazz expert in, in analysis. So really excited. That's what to look forward from us uh, just moving forward. And we'll close it out with our predictions for the rivalry game, our score predictions. And then if our team, our beloved team, does happen to lose, uh, what, what that cause of defeat will be. <laughs> So, I just want to say to all the Utah fans listening, and to all the Cougars as well, 10 is coming. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know if if, uh, the BYU apparatus that you follow has been flooded with the amount of memes of 10 is coming uh, that I have, because it's everywhere, and it's been everywhere this week, and I enjoy the heck out of it. But uh, truthfully, though, I do believe Utah will take the win. Uh, I think for the first half, it's going to be a very close game. I think low scoring, I think 10 points apiece tops. Uh, it's going to take both teams just a minute to figure each other out. I think that's going to swing more towards BYU's favor uh, in the first half. But I think after halftime, that's when Utah's going to break away. So Utah victory, final score, I predict 31-17. I can respect it, but I don't have to like it. <laughs> yes. And so the cause of defeat, if Utah were to win, it would be simply because of the lack of establishing the run game. As I mentioned, I feel like that's just the core part of being of Utah football is having that run game. And even when having a phenomenal quarterback like Charlie Brewer, who can throw the ball and make plays, I feel like having the run game established 
against BYU is the uh, same with the O-line. Not not getting that patched up at least a little bit. That's going to be a major mistake. And that will that will probably be, be the causes of Utah's downfall if we lose. But 10 is coming, so <laughs> no need to worry. So all, all good things must come to an end, Jake. This is the year. This is the time. Last year was the year, but you guys didn't want to play us. You were scared. You were running away. Your conference was like, ah, we don't want to play them. We're going to make them not play. This is the year. I, I, I think that BYU is going to surprise some BYU fans themselves. Again, with the play calling, I think it's gonna, they're going to show uh, a lot more of their hand to give some context behind this game and just how, how important this game is for both sides. The longest streak in the history of the rivalry is nine games held by two teams. BYU from 79 to 87, nine-game winning streak. Utah from 2010 to now. It also happened in the 30s, by the way. It did. We don't even we don't even talk about that. They were not they were not a, BYU wasn't even a school by that point. We don't even our, our schools don't even agree on what the actual record is of the rivalry. That's true. There's like a six game discrepancy. Yeah. No, it's a four game discrepancy. On so what counts and what doesn't. So it it means a lot to get to ten games. Nobody has done that before. And and as a fan of the rivalry, it, it's been something that I've been able to be like, you know, I've I feel like the pendulum's always going to swing back. Right? We had it for a really long time. We dominated Utah for a stretch of 20 years. They've dominated, dominated us for now a stretch of 20 years. And, and, and especially these last, um, you know, these last 10 games of playing. As far as score goes, I'm going to say it's 35-28 BYU. I think it's a touchdown victory. I think it's a little more high scoring. Huh. Than, than some teams, you know, some games have been. And if BYU does lose, there's one thing that you can come back to for each of the games in this losing streak, and that is turnovers. In the last nine straight yeah. losses to Utah, BYU has had 29 turnovers <laughs> compared to Utah's 14. Thank you, Jay Keeps. Of those 29 turnovers, nine of those turnovers were touchdowns for Utah. Interceptions taken back for touchdowns. Of Utah's small 14 turnovers, none. None have resulted in a BYU defensive touchdown. And so the def- the Utah's defense always has played a major factor, and not being able to secure the ball is going to be critical for BYU. And I believe that if BYU has a turnover-free game on Saturday, that they will win the game. If they can control the ball and and not not turn it over, that they will be in the spot to win. And that's that's been the case not been the case for BYU in the this nine game winning streaks. Um, I'll add as well that seven of the nine games in the winning streak have been decided by a possession. Eight points or less three of those seven games have been three points or less. This rivalry is alive. There is a talent gap, BYU fans. There just is. That doesn't, that, you don't lose nine games in a row and for there not to be a talent gap. There is, and it's in depth. 
And that this is the year that I feel like BYU's depth is a lot more equal to what Utah's is. It's still not, it's still not the same, but, but BYU is a lot more deep than they have been in years past. And the rivalry game is almost always competitive. So I'm looking forward to another, another rivalry game. Um, I'm going to be there in person. I got rock passes again this year. So I'll be in the student section and I'll lose my voice again. And maybe this is all you'll ever hear me like is, is like this until we get to, <laughs> to jazz, uh, jazz season when I'm not screaming in the stands every Saturday, but really looking forward to, to another game. Yeah, and I and I wholeheartedly agree. I, I do think this rivalry is alive. I mean, don't get me wrong, BYU is no longer the top team on Utah's radar, and that's and that's just a fact of how it is. Um, but I, I don't feel the rivalry is, is dying at all. That being said, one thing that is definitely a worry for Utah for Utah fans, and I can tell because whenever you watch the press conference with Coach Winningham before uh, the game with BYU. It's always the same question that it's been for the past, I want to say, four or five years. And it's, how are you explaining to this team that are no longer from the state of Utah as a majority, how are you getting them hyped for this rivalry? How are you explaining to them that this is important to the fans? Because a lot of our recruits now come out of Florida, come out of Texas, come out of California. And, you know, they not a sizable portion of the team come out from Utah. No, don't get me wrong, we have plenty of you know in-state recruits, but it's just not a majority anymore like it used to be. And so that's de- I suppose that that definitely is a factor that maybe the players themselves don't put as much stock into it, or at least that's a fear that I know we as Utah fans have because we want this streak to, to be alive. Because as a Utah fan, I have given fans like Jason and friends who are BYU fans so much crap the last what is it, 12, 12, 13 years now? Here we have full-grown deacons that are alive, that have never seen a, U- a BYU victory over Utah in football. And I've given them so much crap over the past decade plus that, frankly, I am afraid <laughs> I am afraid to hear what 12 years of pent-up, just nose-rubbing and bragging rights will feel like. And the worst part is, is every year that that fear grows larger. Because I know the pendulum has to, there has to be an alleviation. There has to be some victory that comes for BYU eventually. Now, do I think it's this year? Absolutely not. Yeah, because 10 is coming. Oh, 10 is coming. So let's, let's do this. I think we should refresh a decades old bet that we used to do with this game that we haven't done in a long time. If BYU wins, you have to wear a BYU tie to church. Okay. Utah wins, I will wear a Utah tie to church, provided by the other person. You also must keep it on throughout the entire session of church, and your spouse will be consulted to make sure that this happens. (laughs) I also want to raise you something else. A picture. A picture also must be taken. Picture. Yes, pictures, video must be taken. That's true. Evidence must be had. But I'm going to raise you something else. If Utah wins... When we film our next podcast, I want you to be wearing a Utah shirt the whole time. <laughs> and I will wear a Cougar shirt all the same. I will. If BYU happens to pull off a miracle and beat Utah. Okay, so are we doing the shirt or the tie? I said we do both. 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 Wow. Okay. All right, I'm in. All right. I'm in. It's a bet. All right, dealio. A, a, a gentleman's agreeance like the Pac-12 Alliance. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the State of Sports Utah podcast. We are very grateful to be able to do this, just in general, and to have football back on. Oh, man. Oh, sports. Sports. Anyways, thank you for listening. Thank you for choosing us. Tell your friends. Leave a comment. Leave a review. Like us. Follow us. Come back for more. Especially next week, when, though you won't be able to see it, Jason will be wearing a Utah shirt, and he will have to admit defeat, because 10 has arrived. Hey, thank you so much for listening, guys. We will catch you on the next episode for my co-host, Jake Lukler. I'm Jason Stoll. This is State of Sports Utah, signing out. Thank you for listening to this State of Sports Utah production. SFX technical support provided by Samantha Knight.